Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to today's edition of The Cheapest Meal, presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosarge. We've got a great show today coming up in just a minute. We're going to be talking to Jeff Risen. We're going to be talking about the Detroit Lions and uh, various other topics relating to the NFL draft and everything else. Uh, new mock draft coming up this week at deepfrieddraft.com, so get ready for that. Uh, We've had some good podcasts these last few weeks. Uh, the latest one, I broke down the wide receiver and tight end class coming up for this NFL draft. Um, I have spoken to New Mexico State safety uh, prospect Ron LaForce. Uh, go back and listen to that one. It was a great episode. Uh, we've also talked Browns with uh, Pete Smith in the last week, and uh, that was enlightening as always. Um, kind of over at deepfrieddraft.com, uh, new look going on there. So um, that's always uh, fun, trying to change things up. Keep it fresh, if you will. Um, so a lot of things coming up in the draft world that everybody needs to know about. The uh, NFL scouting combine, that's going to be happening here in a few weeks. Uh, I believe the first on-field day of drills is March the 1st. Uh, that gets started, I believe, with the offensive line and the tight ends. And then uh, on the 2nd, we'll have all the skill players, quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. And then Sunday the 3rd, you get uh, defensive linemen, edge rushers, and linebackers. And then on Monday the 4th, which will be the final day, um, we'll get the DBs on the field for that. Um, so yeah, coming up, uh, podcasting wise, like I said, today, we're going to have Jeff Risden on in just a few minutes. Um, we're going to have Joe Marino of the draft network on tomorrow, and I'll probably do some more positional breakdowns later in the week. But with that being said, special guest now, he is, uh, the draft writer and NFL writer for real GM. He's the managing editor of Browns wire and lions wire. He is my good friend, Jeff Risden. Jeff, how are you doing today, buddy? Great to be with you this morning, Brian. Good to talk to you. Hey, man, always. I got to tell you a quick story because we were told we were going back and forth during Senior Bowl week about, you know, food and why I told you that, you know, there were 100 different seafood places better than the place you went to that you could have eaten at. But uh, I took some uh, – I took a couple of uh, Yankee first-timers, uh, Joe Goodberry, you know him uh, you know him well, I believe, writer for the – Bengals writer for the Athletic, and I took John Sheeran. He's a writer for Cincy Jungle. These guys had never uh, never really been – they'd never been to Mobile before, I don't believe. So I take them to J. Rogers Barbecue. It's a place in Saraland. It's about 13 miles up the road from Mobile. This is a soul food buffet. And I'm going to take you there next year, Jeff, because you got to go. Oh, but, uh, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> but uh, ask Pete Smith. He'll tell you. He was mis- he was pure miserable after he left. But these two, Jeff, had never eaten banana pudding before. 
I don't know how uh, that happens. You know, that that is not something that we get in the north here. You know, I, I, I live in, in basically Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the only place I ever see that is at Golden Corral, and that, that just ain't where you get in Mobile. No, that ain't it. But you, but you've lived in Houston before, so you know you, you've you've tasted good banana pudding before, so you know what it's like. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I, I lived in Virginia for a while too, and it, it's not quite what you get in, in, in the deep south where you are, but uh, it's it's better than than anything we get around here. Yeah, I, I miss I miss living in Houston for the food as much as anything else, man. I gained fifteen pounds in my three years there. Yeah, no doubt about it. First, before we get into what I really want to talk about this week, uh, let's talk about the the big news this week, and that was the Colin Kaepernick, uh, Eric Reed. They settled their lawsuit with the NFL. Just tell everybody that's listening what the, maybe give us some quick ins and outs of why this is important. Yeah, well, first off, it it's it avoids a court deposition, uh, which would have been troublesome for a lot of NFL owners. Um, and I, I think most people are probably aware of who those owners would be, uh, teams that, that openly did not pursue Colin Kaepernick and instead trotted out the likes of uh, Tom Savage, Nate Peterman, um, players of obviously inferior ability and talent. Um, the, it was a collusion suit. Um, the, the, the settlement means that, that none of the sides have to disclose. Um, the NFL, the, the owners don't have to dis- disclose, you know, why they didn't sign Kaepernick. If there was any, you know, secret handshake agreement or actual formal agreement, which seems unlikely, but that that's all taken away. Kaepernick, on his end, um, never has to say that he tried or didn't try to play in the league, that he, you know, w- was offered. He didn't have to reveal any offers that might have been there, uh, anything like that. So there, it's... From that sense, it's it's a bit of a win for both sides. Um, for, for those of us who wanted more truth and more clarity from both sides of this, it, it's a bit of a disappointing thing. But uh, getting sixty to eighty million dollars for for what he has gone through uh, for Kaepernick specifically. Now Reed did actually wind up playing, and he signed another contract with the Carolina Panthers last week. So so his end of the collusion part of it was probably a little different. I wonder if that was a bit of an impetus for them to settle because. Uh, the fact that he was no longer blackballed, that he was able to sign a second contract, sort of took away the, you know, oh, we're, we're conspiring to keep him out angle for Reed. Um, and I wonder I wonder how much that plays into it. But but I'm, I'm glad it's over. Uh, I'm very curious if Kaepernick will try to play or if he will just take the money and, and say, you know what, my, I, I, I've done my battles with the NFL. I don't need to, to, to fight this battle anymore. You know, I will use this to continue, you know, forwarding my, my campaign of social justice and, and awareness and, and, you know, try to get those things going. It's uh, it, it's a messy thing. It was an interesting timing for it. Friday afternoon is always, you know, NFL news dump time, and that's, that's when both sides came out with it. Uh, and, and it was interesting to me that both sides um, released a joint statement uh, through the lawyers that, uh, that it was all done. That's uh, a, little, a little too tidy for me, but uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm glad the whole, the, the whole, you know, just fiasco of it is over. Right. I'm with you. I'm curious if he's ever actually going to play again, because if you look at some of the quarterbacks that get trotted out, like you, you mentioned specifically guys like Nate Peterman, who are complete and utter garbage, Tom Savage, you know, just, just guys like that that should never be on an NFL roster and he's not. So it kind of makes you wonder if he will actually play again or, if you know, this, this was it. 
Um, I want to get to something interesting you floated on Twitter the other day. I have to talk about this. You said you brought up the possibility of the Detroit Lions trading for Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown. Now, do you think this is a feasible is a possibility or was this just what if? It, it was more of a what if case. Um, although, if you look at it, the the Lions wide receivers right now they have. Kenny Galladay, who was pretty good in the second year, uh, proved that he can at least be a a good number two. And then they've got a 29-year-old Marvin Jones who's coming off of a knee injury. Uh, He doesn't get separation from anybody anywhere anymore. That's it. That's that's their receiving core right now. They don't have anybody else on the roster. Uh, T.J. Jones is gone. Bruce Ellington's gone. Uh, you know, they have, uh, uh, what's his name? Powell, Brandon Powell, who is a, a five foot eight speed receiver who ran a 4.5940. That that's their roster right now. So they desperately need wide receiver help. And I think it's being underplayed how badly they need as a draft need, how, how badly they need receiving help. Keep in mind their, their tight ends, their tight ends right now are Levine, Toi Lolo and Mike Roberts. Um, not exactly an imposing group either. They caught 45 total passes last year. So getting a guy like Antonio Brown, would, my, my God, imagine what that would do for Matthew Stafford and the Lions passing offense. Uh, but at the same time, he's 31. You're paying him, I think it's, I think it's 60 million over the next three years, 42 over the next two. Um, that's a lot to swallow for a guy that's, you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. He's Antonio Brown. I will never question the, his ability to play, but there's a lot that goes along with, with getting him. So it was more of a, you know, I wanted to sort of get the feel of a, the Lions fan pulse, uh, and, and I'll tell you, the debate on it was it's almost 50-50 um, in terms of, of getting him or, or like, oh, my God, no, um, and, and both sides are, are pretty dug in on it and pretty vociferous about it, too. It's, uh, it, it's fun to talk about it this time of year, but uh, I, I really, really don't see it happening. Um, the Lions go into the start of the league year with a shade under $30 million in cap space. Uh, other than a guy like Ziggy Ansah, who I'm sure they'd love to have back, are there any of the other their unrestricted free agents? Do you like to see them bring back? You know, not really. They they're in a case where they're they're, they're sort of pulling away the 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 old team um, that that sort of peaked in 2014 2015, if if you can call what they did a peak. Um, they they're. They're in pretty good shape. Legarrette Blount obviously will not be back. He was he was averaged 2.7 yards per carry, the worst in the league last year. He was actually worse than that, if you can believe it. If you watched him, you'd know that. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of interest for for them to bring many guys back. Uh, yesterday they actually they released Glover Quinn, which got them another 6.25 million. Glover Quinn is one of my all-time favorite Lions. He was great in his six years in Detroit, but he had lost more than a step. He was uh, already replaced in the lineup by Tracy Walker. They got Quandary Diggs. They still have Tavon Wilson at safety. So it was uh, – they're not going to miss Glover Quinn other than the fact that he was just a wonderful teammate, great mentor, um, and, and valuable guy. But uh, they can use that, that money elsewhere. Um, they, they don't really have any other guys that they have to bring back. And I, I don't think they're going to bring Ziggy Ansa back. Uh, and, and some of that is injury-related. There's a chance that his his shoulder injury that he suffered at the end of the year, which was different than the one at the beginning of the year, he might not play in 2019. There, there's very real chance that, that he's going to be out for, for a significant portion of it, at least begin the year on PUP. So I, I think they're going to let him walk and, and hope that he can get some, some money elsewhere. 
Wow. Would not have exp- I did not know that. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter didn't work out as offensive coordinator. Uh, that's, you know, been heavily panned since he took that took over. Uh, you got a new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel. What's the expectations there from Bevel? Uh, well, we were hoping that he's uh, he's a little more uh, le- or, or less predictable. Uh, you go back to, to week one this past year, and, and everybody watched because it was on national television. The New York Jets defense was calling out the plays in week one in, by the middle of the second quarter because they knew exactly what was coming at them. Cooter just never adapted. He never changed anything. Um, you could tell but just – those of us who watched the Lions on a week-in and week-out basis, we knew the exact play that was coming just from the formation, the down-the-distance, and the personnel package that was on the field every week. Uh, that's very difficult. That's like, that's like playing Tecmo Bowl, and the other team, you know, they're hitting the button that means that you can't get it. Uh, they know that play. It, it, it was bad, man. It was, it was, it was awful. And the, the, the odd thing was, was when they would break tendencies, they were really, really successful. And it showed that, that Matthew Stafford isn't washed. And then that they, they do have some talent with guys like Harry Hunt Johnson. So we're hoping that just, you know, being able to mix it up and have unpredictable formations and, and you know, the defense not knowing what's going to come at them, I, I, I think that's the, the biggest expectation is that the, the players can actually play a little bit instead of, you know, fighting an uphill battle all the time. Because it was, it was bad, man. It was, it was embarrassing at times, you know, what, there were times where you could see it in Matthew Stafford. The defense is calling out the exact play that he's got with like five seconds left on the, on the, the play clock. He didn't have time to adapt to that. They, they're not going to burn timeouts on it. That's not something that Matt Patricia wants to do as, as the head coach. So it was just like, you know, what's, what's the point here? Why, why are we doing this? Why, why is Jim Bob Cooter still employed? And, and thankfully now he's not. You mentioned Stafford. There seems to be some legit fan disgust with Stafford. Like he, I mean, I know the quarterback gets the blame and sometimes gets too much the credit, but I mean, do the, the, the Lions fans think they actually have a better option out there right now than Stafford? Uh, and that's that's the saving grace for even the people who hate him. Um, and, and I wrote it this year. There are fans in Detroit that, that they don't, just don't want him cut. They want him like punished, like flogged, waterboarded tortured for his, what he's done to Detroit. I have never, and, and you know, I've, I've lived in a lot of places. I've covered a lot of teams. I have never seen a fan base that hates a player of its own more than the Lions fan base hates Matthew Stafford. It's, it's, it's bad, man. Now, now it, it's not, it's not widespread. They're, they're, it's probably only, I want to say, you know, 10 to 20% at most of the fans that do it, but they are the, the squeaky grease or squeaky wheel that they, they get all the grease in the media uh, and there, there are certain members of the media who are fanning those flames as well. So it, th- th- that gets a lot of attention on it. it. It's unfortunate. There is absolutely nobody better than him available right now, uh, unless you think Brock Osweiler is better or Case Keenum if he's available. No, no come on. Uh, he needs to play better. I, I don't think there's anybody in Detroit, uh, Stafford himself included, who would say that, that what he played in 2018 was, was an acceptable level of play, certainly for, for what he's being paid. He's being paid $29 million. Uh, that, that's, that's the biggest route is that a lot of people think that he's overpaid, and, and I, I would agree with that. But he's, he's shown in the past uh, that, that he's been a very good quarterback. I, I think he's at his peak. He is right there with Matt Ryan, with uh, you know guys, guys that can win playoff games with a good cast around them. 
I, I think Dak Prescott falls into that category as well. You know, guys who are not necessarily going to be the, the people who lead your team to greatness, but can guide a, a good team to greatness. I think he fits right in the middle of that category. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the team around him just hasn't been quite up to snuff. Uh, the coaching staff hasn't been up to snuff at times. The, just just little things that have happened. And, and, you know, Stafford played hurt. He did not play well last year. He, he made poor decisions too often. Uh, a lot of the, the problems that, that get labeled on, a lot of people think that the Lions need offensive line help. I would argue against that because I think Matthew Stafford was the, his own worst enemy in terms of the sack total last year. There were a lot of sacks that were on him for holding the ball too long or just simply, you know, not, not, not getting away from the pressure like he can. Uh, and some of that was his back injury, but some of it was just, you know, he didn't seem like he was dialed in as well as he had been in the past. If he gets back to the guy that he was in 2015, 16, 17, when he led the NFL in, in fourth quarter wins and game winning drives uh, and produced a winning record and, and beat more teams with winning records than Aaron Rodgers did over that time period, uh, I, I think the fans will turn around pretty quickly and, and get behind him again. But man, there's, there's a lot of people around that, that really do, they, they can't stand him. And it, it's weird. It, it, it's weird. The level of hate that they have for him. Oh, it, it's, it's crazy to me. I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about he needs, you know, he needs more talent around him and that's absolutely true, but he's, he's not Andy Dalton out here, you know, that I have to deal with on a yearly basis. So anyway, uh, Lions has the number eight pick coming yeah, up know, in the draft. Yeah, that, you know what? That, that, that's funny. That, that's one of the questions that we ask people. Like, would you trade him for Andy Dalton? That, 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 that's one of the things when I, when I have my radio, when I'm on the radio, we will ask that. Okay, would you have, rather have Matthew Stafford or Andy Dalton? And, and even the, the biggest haters are like, well, well Dalton sucks, man. Give, keep me Stafford. Okay, well, well that's uh, it's a headache. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Lions have the number eight pick coming up. Uh, you mentioned the wide receivers definitely in need. Um, I don't know if eight's where you want to go, you know, with that. But uh, what other positions besides maybe wide receiver would you look at at the eighth pick? They need a pass rush. Um, and it can come from – they're pretty well set at defensive tackle. Um, once they got Damon Snacks Harrison, um, that put Ashawn Robinson and Deshaun Hand – uh, both of whom were very good as well. So they're good there, but their edges, uh, with Anson not coming back, their best edge right now is Devon Kennard. He's a solid player, but he's not a guy who generates pressure on his own. He's sort of a cleanup guy. They need a, a pass rusher who can stand up or put his hand in there because they play a 3-4-4-3 a, a, a three, four, four, three hybrid based on just not even just the opponent, but the specific down and distance. They flop between it heavily, uh, almost entirely in nickel as well. They need a, a outside pass rush threat, a guy who makes offenses worry about him and, and changes blocking schemes. That, that's a huge need. They need a number two cornerback. Uh, Nevin Lawson is a solid number three, number four, but they don't have a number two to play with Darius. He's Tabor, uh, I'll, frankly, I'll be surprised if he's back on the team, and I'll be surprised if he's in the NFL the next year. He's, he, uh, he allowed a perfect passer rating against him last year. That's hard to do. It's hard to suck that bad. Tease Tabor did it. So they're in the market for a number two cornerback. That could also come in, in, uh, in free agency. They need a tight end very badly. If T.J. Lang retires or, or moves on at right guard and that there's some speculation about 
whether he's going to stay or is he go. If he goes, they do need a, another offensive lineman because uh, Wiggins just wasn't it. And Tyrell Crosby, is, I don't think they know what they have in Tyrell Crosby yet. I think they'll figure it out, but I, I'm not ready to, to commit to him yet. So those, those are the biggest things. And there is no number two quarterback on the roster right now. They have Matt Castle. Um, he's, he's horrible. They, they need a young quarterback to, to, to bring behind Stafford to maybe eventually groom to be a successor. Um, they, they, are, they follow the Patriot way. The, the GM is Bob Quinn. He came from New England. Matt Patricia is the head coach. He's from New England, obviously. Getting a guy that, to be the, the Brian Hoyer or uh, Jacoby Brissett, you know, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in that vein, they don't have that guy in Detroit. They tried with Brad Kaya. That didn't work. Uh, they need to try that again, um, and I, I think they'll, they'll go after that. It's not a big knee, but it's something that, that I would expect them to, to bring somebody in in, in the draft's third day. Um, not that there's any quarterbacks this year in the third day that you would want, but you know that, that's, that's, that's where the, the need and uh, availability don't align necessarily. We're going to talk about one of those potential third-day guys in just a minute, but uh, I want to ask you before, uh, really quick about the Browns because I had Pete Smith on last week. So, like I said, I always seem to have him on before you. So, I don't talk much Browns with you, but as you do work with Browns Wire, uh, do you think that arguably are they the favorite for the AFC North this year as we stand right now? I would make them that, yes. I expect them to make the playoffs next year. That doesn't mean that they don't have flaws and they don't have holes that need to get filled, but they on paper are the best team entering right now and, and going forward because they have enough cap room to do things and they have some draft resources. Yes, I expect them to win the, the division next year. Doesn't mean they will, but I expect them to. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you on that. Uh, Jeff, hang tight. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about the 2019 NFL draft. We're going to take a quick 90-second break, so uh, hang tight. Are you thinking about a trip to Disney World, to Disneyland, and you don't know where to start? What's an ADR? How does that whole fast pass thing work? And what in the world is MDE? Let Rebecca Bosarge, Vacation Specialist with Coasters and Castles Travel, help. Her services are 100% free to her clients. She can take care of all those important details to make your family vacation the very special vacation that you want it to be. Rebecca Bosarge can book your rooms, your tickets, and vacation packages for any size group. Make dining reservations. Make all fast pass reservations. She can book special event tickets. Arrange any necessary transportation. She can also set up your My Disney Experience account and even create a personal itinerary for the duration of your trip. You will not have to stress over the details when you use a knowledgeable vacation specialist like Rebecca Bosarge. She can book Universal Studios, Bush Gardens, Alani, Adventures by Disney, and Disney Cruise Line, as well as all major theme parks and popular vacation destinations. Contact Rebecca Bosarge today to get your planning started by emailing her at rbosarge at coastersandcastlestravel.com. You can find her on Facebook at Coasters and Castles Travel, Rebecca Bosarge, and on Facebook at Rebecca B. C&C Travel. You can also find her on Twitter at VacationsRHB. Get in touch with her today. You won't regret it. All right, now we bring back Jeff Risden. Uh, he is the managing editor of the Lions Wire and Browns Wire. Uh, Jeff, we're in peak draft season now, combine, as I said earlier before you came on, two weeks two weeks away. So uh, we're getting ready for that. But I want to talk about one of those quarterbacks. Uh, we saw him, we both saw him down at the Senior Bowl, Tyree Jackson, quarterback from Buffalo. We talked about him uh, before the season last year. 
if you were a GM, would you feel comfortable taking him off the board? I would. Uh, he, he definitely deserves to be drafted based on his physical potential. You know, as you know, we've talked about this. I, he's, he's a local for me here in West Michigan. I actually saw him play in high school. Uh, and, and to follow his career arc, he's, he's, he's an incredible athlete. He has, he has the biggest arm of any quarterback I've ever seen. That includes Matthew Stafford. That includes Josh Allen. Uh, and, and Josh Allen is sort of the, the, the comparison that I would use for him. He is not as fast as Josh Allen, but he has the same sort of, you know, you know high-intensity fastball. Um, doesn't always have touch. Doesn't always know where the throw is going. Um, doesn't always read the defense all that well, but he can do things that other quarterbacks can't because of his sheer physical ability and talent. If you believe that you can harness that and, and work with it, and, and, and even just over the three days in Mobile with different coaching, I saw him take a little bit off the throws and, and start to get a little bit more accurate with it. Those are the things that he needs to do. He is a day three guy for me, but he's a guy that if I don't have a, a pressing need for a quarterback, if I need a guy two, three years, Hey, like Detroit, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd take him. Fourth round's probably a little rich because th- there's a pretty significant chance that he's going to wash out. That it just won't happen for him. But at six, seven, two hundred and forty-five pounds, uh, with his long stride, with his arm, with his, his proven ability to do things in, against good opponents in, in the MAC. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking fifth, sixth round definitely. If, if he's on the board, he's on my team. Right. Oh. What team do you think would offer him the best chance to be groomed and developed? Like, what what quarterback coach or what team do you think would would be best for Tyree Jackson? You know, I I would like to see him go to Seattle and and learn behind Russell Wilson. And they're they're obviously the physical odd couple, but I I think that their ability to develop what Russell Wilson did and build an offense around his particular set of skills. I think they could do a good job with that. Now, now the guy who was primarily responsible for that, Daryl Bevel's in Detroit now, so I'm, I'm going to you know throw my hat and say that Detroit probably wouldn't be a bad spot for him either. But uh, a place with with a proven system that he can sort of learn that system, but also you know offer what he does unique into it, and have a coach and Pete Carroll's great at this at adapting to what his players do well and figuring out how to incorporate that into his more overarching thing. I, I think Seattle would be a great fit for him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, running back class this year, everybody's got their takes. They're all over the board. I mean, Josh Jacobs, number <laughs> one back. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen just every – if you ask eight different people who do this draft stuff year-round, you might get eight different answers of who who running back one is. Who's your guy, Jeff, right now? Oh, geez. It, you know, it's tough because it, it sort of depends on – there's a couple things there, and this, I'm, I'm not waffling on purpose on this, but it depends on what your team needs. Do you need a speed guy? Do you need a hybrid guy? Do you need a power guy? Uh, if you need all of the above, you're probably going to be a little disappointed, especially after last year where you had Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, you know, Kerryon Johnson, a bunch of really, really good, talented, all-around, all-purpose backs. I think that guy is in this draft. Uh, Jacobs is certainly interesting, and he does – there's a lot of things that I like about him, but there's enough holes there that, that I'm not, you know, totally sold on him. That, you know, it, it really does depend on what your team needs this year. And, uh, you know, what do you, what do you want from your back? And that's what you have to ask yourself because there are backs that, that offer certain things that they do very well, but will have significant holes and are not a, a, a bell cow back type. I just don't see that guy in this draft. 
I got you. Give me one guy who's a running back who's flying under the radar right now that's, you know, like Philip Lindsay last year, a guy who goes undrafted but ends up being one of the best backs in the NFL. Who, who's that type of guy that could be the deep sleeper? You know, I, I think a lot of people caught on to Divino Zigbo out of, of Nebraska, sort of a, a late developing wonder. He lost a little bit of weight, um, showed great at the Shrine game, uh, a very talented back, um, runs with great patience. He, he's, he's a popular one uh, for that. I, I'll tell you, though, there's, there's some guys uh, that I saw down at the Senior Bowl who I thought fit pretty well, too. But I, I, I'll, I'll stick with a Zigbo on that just because uh, I've, I've done a lot of work on him, and, and he, he seems to be – Seems to be the, the the flavor of the month, but it, it's for good reason. Right, um, Zigbo out of the Big Ten. I want to talk to you as you are in the middle of Big Ten country up there. I want to hit on a couple of Big Ten defensive prospects that I'm not very, I'm not going to say high on because a couple of these guys I haven't really did a deep dive in, but I figure you probably have. Talk to me about uh, Michigan State corner Justin Lane. You know, he is he he will fit in the NFL. He has a place in the NFL. He is a day three guy. Uh probably needs to play where he can use his physicality pretty well. Uh, I actually like him as kind of a hybrid safety corner uh, because he, he he plays bigger than what he does. Uh if you notice a lot of guys who come out of that Michigan State program are they wind up being good tacklers, but not necessarily the greatest in coverage. Um going back to, you know, Dark Easton Hard, um <laughs> Xavier Rhodes. Or not the zeros, but um, there's a bunch of guys that have come out of there. Um, Monte Nicholson at safety for the Redskins is another guy um, where where they they do certain things well. And I think Lane is, is a guy. He has enough athletic ability. He has enough turn and run ability. He can be your third outside corner and play on special teams. So I, if you if you're not drafting him too high for that, that that to me is worth a you know fifth, sixth, seventh round pick for me. Uh, and I'm fine with that. But if you want him higher than that, you're probably going to be disappointed in what he offers. A guy I am way behind on that is just getting love out the yin-yang from, from draft Twitter, so to speak, and a guy I haven't really studied at all is Michigan linebacker Devin Bush. Tell me what I'm missing or why I need to go hit the tape on him today. He he closes to the ball as fast as any player at any position in this draft. His ability to get from a dead stop – or, you know, just sort of you know, flowing along to striking and getting the ball carrier on the ground is the best in this draft class. That, that's better than Devin White. That's better than uh, the, the, the dude from Alabama, Wilson, that is better than any other linebacker in this draft. The problem is, is that he's 5'10 and a half and 220 pounds maybe, and that's with a whole lot of hair. Uh, it, it's a tough sell for that kind of guy to go in the first round. But if you just watch what he does on in games and how he impacts games, how he can cover tight ends, how he can blow up screens, um, chase down receivers on jet sweeps and things like that, he's a first-round talent. The, will his size allow him to be that? That's, that's the big question. Indy's going to be huge for him. If, he, if he's going to be the size that, you know, the, that I talked about there, he's going to have to run really, really well to stay in the top 40 of the draft. Doesn't mean that I don't think he can play at that level, but if he wants to get drafted at that level, he's going to really have to fly because, uh, you know, five ten linebackers that are, you know, he's he's probably smaller than Jabril Peppers to be honest with you, uh, and you know that that's a tough sell for NFL coaches and, and GMs to to take a guy that high with that size. I know the skill sets probably aren't the same, but is is it kind of like uh, the the cat from Akron a few years ago, Jatavis Brown? Is that his name? 
You know, he was he yeah, was, sub, was front. you know five yeah. ten ish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bush is better than him. He's faster. But uh, yeah, same same sort of thing. And and I think Davis Brown has has done all right for himself. And I'll tell you what, they have a they have a linebacker from Akron this year, Lucy's Gilbert, who's a good draft sleeper, uh, day three guy. But he he's he's not just Davis Brown, but uh, he he's he's going to make some team happy in fifth sixth round. But yeah, Bush is. Uh, I, I had the pleasure. I've I've seen Michigan live at least twice every year for the last six years. He's really really good. Good football player. Smart football player. Good teammate. Uh, very well respected. He, he's a guy that I think NFL fans are going to warm to uh, once they see him put on the pads, not necessarily when they see him get off the bus. And lastly, another Michigan guy I'm sure you've talked about a lot and you've seen in person a lot, Rashawn Gary. What is he? <laughs> That's a great question. What is he? He's, he's a 273-pound defensive tackle. That's that's not easy. Who doesn't like playing defensive tackle, by the way? He wants to play edge. Uh, Michigan asked him to cut weight, and he did, um, and played on the edge opposite Chase Winovich. Winovich got all the sacks, got all the glory, and, and Gary, while he improved his, his all-around game, um, it, it's pass rush and, and sacks that sell, and he didn't have that last year. And the thing is, when he moves to the outside, his biggest assets are his quickness and his strength for his size. That gets mitigated when he goes to the outside. He, he doesn't have that big of an advantage over the tackles as he does the guards in the center. So if he can get back up to 280 even, 285 would be great, which is what he played at earlier in his career. Put him in a three technique. I'm not going to say he's Aaron Donald or Geno Atkins, but I'm not going to say he's not either. He, he has that sort of dynamic athletic ability. And because he improved his vision, he improved his ability to shed blocks and to keep himself clean a little bit. Um, this, this was a guy who never anticipated a cut block in his life until about halfway through last year, and he figured those things out. So he, he does offer a lot, but as an edge, he, he's not one of the not, not even one of the six or seven best in this class. As an interior tackle, if you can get enough weight on him and are comfortable with, with you know him getting blasted back on occasion, uh, he can be a really, really devastating interior force. Uh, Geno Atkins would be the working comp for that. He's bigger than him. But, the, but that kind of player, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of teams that would really like having that. But he has to commit to it. He has to want to do it. Uh, and uh, based on him and, and the conversation that I had with his mother when she called into my radio show and defended him, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's, that's something that he's all that interested in. So based on the information you have there and the questions we have, where is Gary going to come off the board? I think a lot of people who are Michigan sycophants are going to be disappointed when he's still there, uh, probably into the 20s. Um, maybe the teens, because I, I, if he lights up Indianapolis, it's going to be hard to he, – he's going to do really well in, in the explosive metrics, you know, the broad jump, vertical jump. Uh, bench press will probably do pretty well. Uh, and that, you know, those kind of athletic guys get taken a lot. I'll, I'll tell you another guy that I compare him to, and I would like to see him take this role, is Cam Jordan of the Saints playing that heavy, you know, five technique, uh, but can kick inside, can kick outside, depending on what scheme you're in. I think that's probably the best outcome for him, the most realistic outcome, because I don't think teams are going to see him playing inside like that. If he can be that guy, uh, he, he's worth taking in the top 15. Is he going to prove that he's that guy? Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I think the first place he comes off the board is Cleveland at 17, and I'm not sold that they're going to be all that interested in him there. So I, I think he's going to sit longer than most people expect. 
there's a similar size guy that I know I love in Ed Oliver. Is is that are they like competing for the same spot, so to speak? Yeah, you know what they they kind of are, and, and Oliver is a a better athlete um, and a better he has better pass rush moves. He doesn't just out athlete people, which is sort of what Gary does. Um, if he doesn't win on his first step, he's not beating you much, um, other than with a, a nasty forearm shiver swipe move that he's got. Oliver does more things with that, uh, so I think I think Oliver will, will wind up going a little bit ahead of him. Uh, they are they're similar players, and if if you're interested in Gary, you're probably going to be interested in Oliver, um, and there's a couple other guys you're probably going to be interested in too. This is a very good draft class to need uh, interior <laughs> pass rushers and and edges. That's um, that also hurts their draft stock, by the way. You know, if, if you're sitting there at 12 mm-hmm. and, you know, Ed Oliver doesn't go off until 8 to 10, okay, well, all these other guys are getting pushed back. You know, do I have to take him now or can I get somebody who gives me 98% of what he does three rounds later? Maybe you can. That that factors into it too. No no doubt about it. You see it every year, especially when you – because everybody says, well, this class is this, – this position group is so deep, and then the, the guys start sliding. It's because teams know that, well, we can get this same guy – like you said, 90% of what this guy is, you know, 75% cheaper. So let's let's take the bargain. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, you, you touched on Ulysses Gilbert from Akron. I can't not talk to you about some Mac prospects uh, – uh, Jeff, it's kind of what you are. You know, it's your brand, the Mac. So <laughs> it, uh, is. it is. So uh, Ohio, who, anybody this year? Because this doesn't doesn't seem like this is it, this is this year is it for them. They might. Get, they'll get. They have two offensive linemen who are at the NFLPA game. Uh, Lowry, the tackle, is the better of the two. He's got a shot to at least last through the preseason as a rookie and get on a practice squad. Uh, as much as I love Poppy White for all that he did for for the Bobcats in his four years there, uh, his side he's sort of a poor poor man Steel Riddick, and I don't think that's that's worth much. But uh, you know, I'm I'm just happy that we've won bowl games because uh, when I was there, we were dreadful. What about uh, the running back Wallet? Wallet, I guess I'm pronouncing that right. You know, is he, is he a camp guy or is he yeah. CFL all the way? I, I think he's going to be a CFL guy. He can get into a camp. He he's um, he reminds me not, not to go all Detroit. I, he reminds me some of Zach Zenner, but he's not as explosive as Zach Zenner is. Uh, hard-working, lunch-pail guy. Fought his way back from injury. Uh, fought his way back from from losing his role a little bit. Had a really good senior season. He, he's a guy that you want to root for, but at the same time, unfortunately, guys like him really are a dime a dozen in the NFL these days. Yeah, uh, one last Matt question here, and um, we'll, we'll get off. A couple of Buffalo ca- uh, guys, talk talk to me quickly about uh, Anthony Johnson, the receiver. I didn't. I, we both saw him at the Senior Bowl, and I was like, it wasn't impressive. He, I don't think he did much that week at all. He is he's very generic, um, and very. No holes to his game. Very, very solid all around, but doesn't offer any one spectacular trait. He's average size. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, average speed. He's going to run four or five. Um, pretty good hands, but not spectacular. Uh, he, he's going to be a number four, number five NFL receiver. He's good enough at, at his craft to stick at that for a few years and maybe have a year where he, you know, injury or whatever forces him up to be a number two, number three. One of the catching 60 passes for you. 
I, I think that's that's sort of his career arc. Um, and I, I like him, but there's no real reason to to not take other guys over him um, if they offer something a little bit better. And, and whether it's speed, size, whatever, um, he, he's sort of just yeah. Khalil Hodge, kind of in the same, uh, the linebacker from Buffalo, he kind of in the same range as Gilbert, fifth, sixth round. Yeah, he might actually go a little lower than that. He he showed up in St. Pete uh, for the Shrine game at 255 pounds. It showed. Um, he, he really, the more I watched of him, the less I liked his his NFL upside. I think he's a solid player. I, I think he's going to be a, a backup interior linebacker in the league, your number four, number five linebacker. Uh, he's a guy who's going to have to win on special teams. Uh, his weight is all over the place. He's played at 237. He's played at 255. Um, it's, he didn't look good in coverage. He didn't necessarily look all that good in blitzing. He wasn't a good blitzer in college. There's, there's a finite role for a limited – I think he's a 3-4 inside backer um, who plays on rundowns and in, and in heavy packages. I don't, I don't see a, a bigger role for him than that. All right, we'll get to a couple quick draft uh, draft takes here. Who's the first quarterback taken, and at what pick? Oh, geez, I, I do think it's going to be Kyler Murray. Uh, I, I will stake that, and I will say wherever Oakland picks, um, whether they stay where they are or not. Uh, I just like the I, I, I'm infatuated with the concept of John Gruden um, continuing to stick his middle finger at convention and, and doing what he wants, um, <laughs> for the better or the worse. That would, that would certainly be interesting. I said the same thing. I did a radio spot with the local guys here after he announced he was committing to football, and they asked him who's going to take him. I said it's probably going to be Oakland. I just I, I'm like you. I think he's just he's going to do it what he wants to do, and to hell with everybody else. Uh, over under six and a half edge rushers in round one. Ooh, you know that that that's a good question because we've been we've been looking at this for for the Lions' purposes for guys that we could possibly get in the second round. I think it's going to be under. I, I think offensive tackles are going to bubble up unexpectedly. I think you're going to see a couple of safeties, um, guys like Nasir Adderley bubble up and, and get into that range. I think it's going to push some of the pass rushers down. Again, there are so many of them that, like we talked about with Gary, you can get a guy that gives you, you know, 85% of what you can get with a, a guy at 25 at 75. You're going to wait till 75. And I think that's going to happen with this draft class at, at, at edge. Who's the top former volleyball prospect in this draft? <laughs> uh, it's the wide receiver from uh, from Arizona, uh, and his name is escaping me <laughs> right now. But I talked to him. Uh, we actually Poindexter. talked a little bit of volleyball. Poindexter, yes, thank you. Uh, we talked some volleyball down at, at the Shrine Game. He was he was taken aback that I knew uh, what an opposite hitter was. Uh, so it was it wound up being a good conversation. He's he's not Mike Gesicki, but uh, at the same point, that might make make Dolphins fans happy because they're not too happy with Gasicki right now. But he Gasicki was an amazing volleyball player, um, top level, um, not quite to where he could have played for, for you know, the, the U.S. team, but he could have started at Penn State, and Penn State is a massive volleyball power in men and women's volleyball. Um, Poindexter is more of he's, – he's a guy that you don't ever want to see in your rec league um, and, and could have played on a club team in college, which is what I did. Uh, but I think that's probably about his peak too. All right, last thing. Uh, give me your. We've had one week of games in the uh, new Alliance of American Football. Give me your quick take on uh, the how how that was, and and can it sustain success? 
I'll tell you this. I, I was I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana last weekend. My son was playing some AAU basketball, and we were at a hotel bar Saturday night, and there was probably 40 to 50 people, and they were all watching. They weren't. We didn't have the sound on, so we weren't that engaged with it. But people were watching, and people were talking about it. That's that's exactly what they need. They got exposure. It was the the San Antonio game. Um, it wasn't necessarily a lot of scoring in it, but it was good football. And I, I think people are intrigued by it. It seems like a lot of people are buzzing about, you know, oh, I think I will watch it this weekend. Um, it's still going to be one of those things where some people are just going to have to happen upon it. But the, the in-stadium attendance was really good. That seems to be what their model is built on. And uh, getting that word of mouth out there, I, as you know, I'm a big advocate for rooting for it. I hope that it becomes a developmental league, not just for the NFL players, but for coaches and for officials, because God knows we need better trained officials getting up to the NFL. Uh, I, I think it lasts this year. I, I think they're going to do well enough that they get a second year and, and hopefully beyond that, because there, there's a lot of good things to like about it. Um, the kickoff thing, eh, I don't know about that, no, but uh, or the, the, the extra point, uh, you know, that's a little weird for me. I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. It'll take some time to get used to that, but at least they're trying to do something a little bit different than just being NFL light. And I like that. Well, my two takeaways from it that I noticed was one, like you said, that it was good football. And and if if you and I know you because we're both older fellas, so we can both know when the XFL launched, it was just bad football, bad presentation, oh, bad football, and the bad product. This was not like that. This was good football. And my other takeaway was I know you didn't like the taking out of the kickoffs or whatever, but I thought the pace of play, that made the pace of play just so great. No, no, no full commercial break except in between quarters. Every, the two games that Saturday night both ended under two and a half hours. College football really needs to look at the damn pace of play that the AAF does, maybe more so than the NFL does. The NFL could still get a game in a three-hour window where when's the last time, other than if it wasn't two option teams playing, when's the last time you saw a college football game end in a three-hour window? Oh, some of those college games. I, I sat through one this past year. I was at uh, Western Michigan and Ohio in a rainstorm. Both teams threw the ball a lot. Um, I, I, I think the game started at 7.30. I got home. I'm an hour away from Kalamazoo. I got home at 1 a.m. So, uh, yeah, you're right on that. And, and you know what? I did not notice. I didn't take real note of that. I wasn't cognizant of the, the pace of play on it. That's something that I'll, that I'll watch for this weekend because uh, that would be a welcome change. I complain all the time about the NFL doing – the score of the touchdown, have the review, ad break, extra point, ad break, kickoff, return, ad break. Ad break. I hate ad that. Break. I hate that. Get rid of that. If, if, the, if the AAF isn't doing that, good for them. Yeah, like I said, the two hours and 35 minutes, both games that Saturday night came in under that. So that that is definitely something that I think they're on they're on to something there. And uh, from what we've briefly heard of the new XFL when it launches next year, they're actually aiming to get the games less quicker than that. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure talking to you, talking ball with you. Uh, tell everybody where they, we can find your work. Yeah, sure. Uh, and thanks for having me on again. Uh, I am at uh, realgm.com, the football side. Um, I, I have a bunch of stuff going up there, draft related. That's where most of my general NFL draft stuff goes. If you're looking for more team specific stuff, I cover the Lions and the Browns on the USA Today Wire sites, um, Browns Wire and Lions Wire. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff going up there. I, I, I publish at least three things every day on, mo- on the, both sites. Most days are more than that. Uh, some of it's draft related. I have a draft prospect of the day going every day. 
uh, on both sites. So uh, it keeps me busy. But, uh, yeah, you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Risden. That's R-I-S-D-O-N. If you happen to ever be in West Michigan, I'm on ESPN 96.1 in Grand Rapids uh, quite a bit between now and the NFL draft. Is that something you can find on like an iHeartRadio or something of that nature? Yes, it is. It is WMAX on your iHeart app. Thanks for finding that out. I appreciate that. Hey, no, no problem. Hey, man. As I, like I said, I know there's going to be some Lions fans that listen to this that are out of the network there, so maybe that's how they, maybe that's how they want to get their Lions covered. Jeff, again, thanks so much, man. And uh, we'll see. Well, I guess we'll see you next January. I will be back in Mobile, and you will take me to good barbecue, my friend. You damn right. Jeff, thanks again. That was Jeff Risden. Uh, he's the managing editor of Lions Wire and Browns Wire and Real GM. Uh, find him on Twitter at Jeff Risden. Uh, he's he's just a great guy. I always enjoy uh, talking football with the GM. So that's going to do it for today. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft. Find uh, everything that I do draft-related at deepfrieddraft.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Until next time.